I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Kilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, Bert, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Ava, Bob, The West Bank Robbery Podcast, Jamie, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Ryan, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax News listeners. On this edition of the program, Chris Gilardi of New York Focus, a nonprofit publication dedicated to asking the question, who runs New York, joins us to discuss a piece he co-wrote with Julia Rock entitled New York's Ties to Israel bring the Gaza war home, which details a network of major companies, nonprofits, and individuals in New York that have aided the West Bank occupation. All that and much more on this edition of Parallax Views. Let's get right to it with Chris Gillardi. Welcome to Parallax Views, Chris Gillardi of the New York Focus, a nonprofit publication that asks the question, who runs New York? How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing as well as one can be right now. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. So you, along with Julia Rock, recently penned a very interesting report for New York Focus entitled New York's Ties to Israel Bring the Gaza War Home. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this piece, and I don't know where you want to start with it, but one thing that immediately stuck out to me was this uh, character that I heard about, I I think it was a year or so ago, named uh, Jacob Fauci, who... You know, he's in this video um, where he took a a Palestinian woman's house and and she's yelling at him saying, you can't do this, Jacob. You can't do this. 
And he says, if I didn't take the house, someone else would. And this is uh, in regards to the West Bank settlements. And I guess we'll get into who he's associated with. But maybe for people that don't know, uh, can you talk about what is going on with these settlements if, if people are unfamiliar with the situation? Sure. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great starting point. Um, I mean, I guess just like basic, basic primer, um, Palestinians in, in greater Palestine and Israel are, um, there are Palestinian citizens of Israel. There are Palestinians in the, in, in the Gaza Strip and there are Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, and the West Bank refers to the West Bank of the Jordan River, um, where, um, Palestinians have been living for a long time and where many refugees were expelled to um, when um, Israel was founded as a state. Um, And so the West Bank is the largest chunk of the occupied Palestinian territories, and um, it's supposedly supposed to be um, the center of a future Palestinian state. You know, uh, we we constantly hear the term two-state solution from... um, from elected officials is kind of uh, a refrain um, when talking about Israel and Palestine. And and that refers to an Israeli state and a Palestinian state. And assumedly the Palestinian state would be based in the West Bank. Um, A lot of that goes back to the 90s um, and and, um, the Oslo Accords. And there's a whole history there. But for decades and and like since um, the 90s, um, Israel has been allowing um, Israeli citizens to um, found their own settlements in the West Bank, which um, often results in Palestinians getting evicted from their homes, um, getting pushed out of their land. Um, and, you know, there's a famous map in, in 2015 um, that came out that supposedly really like shocked the Obama administration. And it was a map of the West Bank as we know it but it showed all of the territory where Palestinians were living and where these settlements were living and where Palestinians were living were really reduced to these little just pockets, um, these little communities and surrounding them were these settlement communities where um, Israelis had moved in um, and really like pushed Palestinians off their land. And really in, in a, it's really clear in the map and also clear in the way that settlers speak about, about this project um, really meant to um, disconnect all these Palestinian communities. So it's not really one like contiguous state. We hear a lot about like checkpoints in the West Bank, that that's what that is, is um, Palestinians having to go through Israeli military checkpoints um, in order to get from like one town to another. And it's been sort of this like ongoing project for, for the past few decades of just sort of encroaching and encroaching and encroaching these, these Israeli settler communities um, evicting Palestinians and and shrinking the land um, that they're able to live on. Now, I mentioned this Jacob Fauci character. Is that a good segue maybe into the subject of the article? Because he was a Long Island resident. I guess he has connections to a, a foundation that uh, ties into the broader picture you're painting in the article. Oh, yeah, that's a great segue. Um, so I, I, this this video is going around. Yeah, I think it was 2021. Um, and it, it uh, yeah, really went around from people who kind of like follow this stuff. It, as you described, this guy, Jakob Fauci, um, who is that was actually from Long Island and had been living in 
um, Jerusalem. And this woman, Muno Kurt, um, yelling at him that he had stolen her house. Um, and it turns out that, like, through some reporting um, after that video came out, that this Jakob Fauci is, was from Long Island. He had been living in East Jerusalem for around 10 years, um, and he had taken over the Kurt's house. Um, um, he was recruited by this company called Nahalat Shimon, um, which is, a, it's it's a lot of these, there's like a weird mix of like private companies and NGOs and nonprofits at play. Um, but that that's like a Long Island based um, company that actually recruits people to move, move to East Jerusalem and move um, in areas around there. Um, to, yeah, essentially, like, live in homes um, where Palestinians had been evicted. And um, it, it really, so my co-writer, Julia Rock, and I wanted to write this article to kind of show that everybody sort of knows that the U.S. has a huge stake in Israel-Palestine, that the, the U.S. is a huge backer of Israel. We always hear about the billions of dollars U.S. sends in military aid to Israel every year. It um, gives Israel cover at the United Nations, as we've seen in the past few weeks. It it um, it, it, it really is like a backer, and without the United States support, Israel cannot um, continue on its, dare I say, colonial project. Um, but that that trickles down to the local level. And, you know, we're local reporters. We write for this New York outlet. Um, that that support really trickles down to the local level. It, it comes in the form of people moving to Israel to evict Palestinians off their land. It comes in the form of these types of companies, comes in the form of just sort of like a political project of deeming um, any sort of support for Palestinian liberation or the Palestinian cause out of bounds. Um, and yeah, so th that that really was encapsulated, I think, in in this video that really went around um, this guy talking in an American accent, yelling at this at this woman that like, if I don't steal your house, no one else will. Um, so we really wanted to like expand on that. Can you talk about how this works? What are these LLCs and NGOs? And I know you said it's kind of a a complicated mix. How do they work and, and, and how does this tie into uh, the occupation for people that are maybe a little bit confused by this? Sure. It, it, it is. It's very complicated and it comes in a lot of different directions. Um, so <clears throat> it's, it's very just embedded in the NGO structure in New York and in the U.S. like writ large. Um, so you'll have some companies like Nahalat Shimon who, who are like private companies that um, work to facilitate the purchasing of Palestinian land and the eviction and um, recruit people to go live in those homes. There are also um, some Israeli NGOs that get a lot of support from and funding from American nonprofits. Um, and those NGOs do all sorts of things. They There's um, some that do like legal work that actually like... Um, in a similar way, we see like conservative um, organizations in the U.S. kind of like working the Supreme Court. They'll um, do a lot of like case legal work. They'll file a lot of lawsuits. They'll file a lot of eviction proceedings and try to work the Israeli judicial system to um, allow, especially in, in East Jerusalem, which is uh, a Palestinian occupied territory, 
um, to allow or to have the court allow them um, to legally evict people and take over that that land. It also just sends um, a lot of these NGOs send money directly to settlements in the rest of the West Bank, which are a little bit more rural. Um, and that um, that support can be for any number of things. It could be for <clears throat> building new institutions, building new homes, building new schools, um, really kind of beefing up Israeli communities in the West Bank that um, then go and expand their territory um, and evict more Palestinians. And as we've seen in recent weeks, um, get very violent. In recent weeks, a lot of these settler communities have um, under, under um, I guess, emboldened by the onslaught in Gaza and emboldened by sort of the Israeli government's um, yeah, green lighting uh, of violence against Palestinians have um, used that as, as an excuse to go into other Palestinian communities and um, either in, in mobs or or using like their own like civilian security forces or pairing with Israeli defense forces um, and taking over homes and buildings that they've seen as targets, inflicting violence on Palestinians. It's, it's really ramped up in the past few weeks. Um, and I guess bring bring it back to that. The there are Israeli NGOs. Just in the past few weeks, I'm actually reporting another article right now, um, who have used the Gaza war as um, as an excuse to fundraise for the their these settlements civilian security forces. So they're it's illegal to. Um, send arms to these places, but they're doing everything but that. Um, so I've been researching a few groups, both based in New York, <clears throat> Jewish groups based in New York and evangelical Christian groups across the country um, that that um, have as their mission to support the Israeli project, um, who are fundraising millions of dollars for uh, things like conversion kits, which are um, something that can turn like a pistol into a rifle. Um, security systems surveillance systems a lot of fundraising for drones including like drones that have like thermal vision um they're fundraising for helmets and um armed or armored vests anything to send to these um security civilian security councils i guess in these settlements um as they Supposedly, like the the NGOs are saying that they're using it to protect themselves from Hamas terrorists. Um, but as we, as we as we've seen in the news, um, a lot of these security councils are um, inflicting more offensive violence against Palestinian communities. So you, we mentioned at least uh, one of these is the company Nahalat Shimon. Uh, what are let's just name names. What's the what are some of the big uh, you know uh, private companies, uh, or even sort of like structured as charities, uh, sort of entities, uh, that are involved in this. Uh, I think one that you mentioned in the article is the central fund of Israel. Yeah. And okay. So that, that's, this is where it gets, um, interesting and a point that we hoped to make in the article. And I hope to make in, in some future articles, um, it, it's hard. It's not totally cut and dry in terms of like, this is the organization that is responsible for settlement violence and this is an organization that's not. Um, there are a lot of 
it, the, the money web is very complicated. Um, and so you'll see like the central fund of Israel, huge, huge, um, charity. It, it really, it, the, the main purpose of the central fund of Israel is to take donations, um, from whomever, mostly Jewish communities and send them to needed charities in Israel. They fund hospital after hospitals, after school programs, all sorts of things. Um, but they also send money to organizations like the Israel Land Fund. And the Israel Land Fund is an Israeli organization that um, it, its its focus is what it calls, quote unquote, land reclamation efforts, um, mostly in East Jerusalem. And that's kind of what I was talking about um, with um, the legal efforts and the lawsuits and the evictions and, and trying to get Palestinians out of East Jerusalem. Um, the, yeah, the Central Fund of Israel also funds uh, another organization called Regavim. Um, that, that's it. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's that's like a very similar type of organization that um, is focused on getting Palestinians out of East Jerusalem um, and out of um, the Southern West Bank. Um, and, and yeah. And, and there's there's many more. But um, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll leave it there. I was going to say the, the other one I, I think you mentioned, if not extensively, then you know, at least you devote a portion of it to is, um, I don't want to mispronounce this, but the, the friends of your David. And, uh, mm. I, I think this would be a good segue because I mean, there's individuals that you name here too, that are sort of, um, the, the individuals with money that can help fund this. Could you speak to that? Totally. Um, yeah. So the friends of your David is your David is, is the city of David. It's a place in, in Jerusalem. It's a place in East Jerusalem. That is the target of a lot of these groups. Um, and you'll, you'll see a lot of these, these nonprofits pop up as like American friends of blank and really they're, they're funneling money to the, either the settlements or the, or the organizations that are trying to annex blank. Um, in, in this and, case, the, the friends yeah. of your David are funders of Ilad, right? Mm. Yes. Of Ilad, which is, um, that's an organization whose members have, have, and that's been around for many decades um before some like sort of um legal changes in in like israeli land law um elad would he would literally go into like palestinian homes and and um and take them over and now they mostly launch like eviction proceedings um but that that actually and i think what you're you're mentioning in terms of ind individuals friends of your david um and elad um I'm sorry. Ilad is also funded um, by a Manhattan billionaire, Ira Rennert. Um, so, and it really speaks to, I guess, just like the complexity. It's really hard to track the money here. Um, so you have like these like NGOs in the United States that um, get a lot of money from grassroots donations. And those, those grassroots donations are really untraceable because under a certain amount, um, they don't have to disclose who, who they get them from. And then they funnel that money to the, um, Israeli groups. Then you have like billionaires who can also funny funnel money directly to the Israeli groups. So that is far less common. Um, and I guess I'll give another example. So, um, Akela Lacey, a reporter at The Intercept and I recently um, just reported on the organization that 
funded G governor kathy hochul of new york um went to israel for a two-day trip um very shortly after october 7th as sort of like what she called a solidarity mission um and for a while that it was unclear like who funded that it, it's pretty common actually in especially among new york officials um for nonprofits to fund excursions abroad specifically to israel but also elsewhere um eventually she came out um and said that it was the uja federation of new york there was some weird stuff that she wanted like a um an ethics uh review from a state office that never happened so her office said that they would be actually um paying uja um, federation back but all that is to say that Akila and I were going through tax records and found several instances where UJA Federation, which is part of a broader federation of Jewish community groups, um, that says it does not support um, West Bank settlements, it doesn't support sending resources to West Bank settlements, was actually sending that money to some groups that support West Bank settlements. So the money trickles um, in like very hard to track ways, um, but it, and it really embeds itself within um, groups that ostensibly are just trying to, um, you know, help out everyday Israelis. I mean, I'm sure there's even people involved with these organizations that, that may not even realize where some of the money is going. I don't know. Absolutely. No, I, I think that could be correct. Um, UJA Federation is is massive. I was re it's it's one of the largest local nonprofits in the country. It has some um, like tens of billions of dollars annual budget, um, and it's mostly for grant making. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it does get extremely complicated. And we reached out to this umbrella organization that oversees all of these Jewish federations um, across the country. Um, and and they're like, yeah, we don't we don't support sending money to West Bank settlements, although um, we support humanitarian aid for for all Israelis, um, no matter where they live. Um, and this has been a thing for a while. There was Haaretz did a, a 2015 invest or 2017 investigation that showed that these individual federations under this umbrella group that says that it doesn't um, support sending money to West Bank settlements. Um, these individual federations cross country would would funnel millions of dollars um, to groups that support the settlements. So it, it does get really messy. It gets hard to track, um, especially among the the weirdness that is um, the American sort of nonprofit system. Now let's talk more about the uh, political issues here. There's been attempts to maybe try to you know, stop this kind of thing, right? Um, how have those attempts gone in New York and uh, what stands in the way of those efforts? Uh, I don't know if you want to start with the Not On Our Dime Act and, and what happened with that, but maybe that would be a good place to go. Definitely. Honestly, I think that's the only place to go. So in um, earlier this year, actually, in, in May 2023, um, so a, a local or a state assembly member and a senator introduced what they called the Not on Our Dime Act. Um, and it, it as far as I am aware, um, I'm not going to say this with 100 percent confidence, but it, it was it was the first um, bill of its kind, um, which would give the state attorney general 
the authority to deny um, tax exempt status to groups that fund settlements in the West Bank, as well as the power to dissolve and sue um, organizations that already um, fund settlements. Um, it, it, it was, you know, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, and it was, and you know, the impetus is to make sure that um, organizations committing human rights abuses are not, uh, don't get tax exempt status, um, especially local tax exempt status. Um, their colleagues condemned the effort almost immediately. Um, it, like the week after they introduced the bill, um, 60, it, you know, the state legislature in New York is, is dominated by the Democratic Party and 66 Democratic Assembly members, which is which is the majority of the conference, um, released a letter decrying it as um, they called it a ploy to demonize Jewish charities. They called it um, a ploy to further sow divisions within the Democratic Party. Um, it really, yeah, it really showed how um, off limits Israel is, even among Democrats, even among this very blue sort of left leaning state. Uh, I talked to actually um, a fairly progressive, I would say, assembly member um, who who is is pretty uh, who's like Israel supportive and also Israel critical, um, Harvey Epstein, and he signed the letter um, back in May. And I and I asked him about it, and he he actually like it was interesting our conversation. He actually described um, the settlements as human rights abuses, but took issue with focus the bill's focus on israel palestine so he he kind of framed it as like um why would we like just target the only jewish state in, in the world um i guess i won't I'll comment on the validity of that i, I will just say that um it, it, yeah it, it i think the sponsors of the bill would argue that they were targeting the place in the world um, that has the human rights abuses and the most support from American NGOs. Um, Epstein didn't say whether he would support something that was broader, because um, that that's a little hypothetical. But but yeah, it, it really goes to to show the sort of red line um, politically when it comes to Israel, which we see on the federal level all the time. But it also very much boils down to the state and local. In regards to the politics, does this sort of affect things that we see come out of New York politics when it comes to Israel? Like, I mean, we have, you know, after uh, Cuomo resigned, right, he said he would la launch an advocacy group called Progressives for Israel. And uh, also there's a lot of anti-BDS legislation that came out of New York, could you speak to how that uh, connects to all of this? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's um, it's funny to see how I think Israel politics in the U.S., including on the local level, have become um, so powerful and such a thing um, within those who have power. Um, that people that politicians who are who are looking to um 
you know, like up in their career, you like will use it as either a checkbox or like a launching pad to further their own um, sort of political coalition. So like, yeah, like you said, Andrew Cuomo, who resigned in disgrace, um, after resigning, announced that he was launching this this pro-Israel organization um, that really hasn't become a thing at all. Um, interestingly, there's a, there's a parallel. So um, the speaker of the New York City Council, um, whose name escapes me, the former speaker of the New York City Council, when he left the city council, launched what's called the New York Solidarity Network, which um, really has aimed to be a local version of APAC, the um, American Israel Public Affairs Committee. This is the um, New York Solidarity Network, you said? Yes, yes, okay, the New York so, Solidarity so Network. People have to think of them sort of, I mean, a good way to think of them, like you said, is that they're a local version of APAC, which people often will call the Israel lobby, but go on. Yes, exactly. Um, it, it, and it is aimed to be that. And, and yeah, so sort of like seeing um, Israel advocacy as a, um, yeah, sort of launching pad for the next. next you cut out there for career. a second. You said sort of too. So, seeing Israel um, advocacy as. As um yeah, as as like a way to um advance one's political career. And we see this, we we saw this with Kathy Hochul too. Like it, it was um immediately after October 7th, um was um, you know, she raised the Israeli flag in front of the governor's mansion, raised the Israeli flag um at um in front of like um uh, Government government buildings in Albany um, was very 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 reticent to when asked by reporters to um, condemn the Israeli military's targeting of civilians and the civilian casualties. She still said very little about that. She she'll advocate for um, humanitarian aid, um, which has kind of been the go to for for politicians who don't want to say anything else. Um, I actually when when. The first reporter sort of asked her, like, what would you say to Palestinian New Yorkers um, who are also grieving? This was like several weeks in into the onslaught, not just immediately after October 7th. Um, she said that they should condemn Hamas and offered very little words of support other than that. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it's it's their. The knee jerk. um thing because it is um the most politically safe thing at least in the eyes i think of career politicians is to unwaveringly um support israel and um not really really question what they do i gotta be honest i didn't know about a lot of this beforehand um you know i knew about the stuff with cuomo and the progressives for israel but the only person i would hear about constantly was this um just bizarre figure for me at least um Richie Torres who uh <laughs> I feel like this man is only known for talking about Israel um what what do you know about this figure yeah Richie Torres is um interesting I tried I I reached out to his office for like a Q&A but they didn't respond um he is a congress 
person um, from the from the Bronx. He comes from sort of that like um, uh, yeah Bronx political machine. He's a former New York City Council member. Um, so the way Richie Torres said, he's a Democrat, by the way, obviously. Um, the way the way Richie Torres um, describes it, he was taken on one of these nonprofit funded trips to Israel as a city council member in 2015, um, and he's he has no he had no connections to Israel before. Um, you know, he's not Israeli, he's not Jewish, um, but he went on this um, trip to Israel and said his eyes were opened to um, the plight of Israel as a state, um, the security concerns, the, the, the beauty of life in Israel, um, and since has been probably or perhaps the most um, aggressive, definitely the most aggressive Democrat um, in Congress when it comes to defending Israel. Um, he, he puts it in very, as as a colleague of mine put it, Manichaean terms, um, he, like, Israel is good and Hamas in the most um, polite reading or or Palestinians in, in a not-so-generous reading um, are evil. Um, and any sort of criticism of Israel's tactics, of um, Israel's greater settler project is, is anti-Semitism. Um, I mean, it's also obviously worth noting that he's one of the biggest recipients of funding from APAC. Um, he says pointing that out is also anti-Semitic. Um, is, APAC is his like single <clears throat> biggest uh, donor to his campaign. Um, but yeah, and he's he's sort of like gained favor with both the political interests and the moneyed interests um, that come with becoming such um, an Israel advocate. And, and it just kind of like started with one of these city council trips to Israel um, yeah, when he was a local official. There's also another figure you cover, um, Thomas D. Napoli, and I guess the Israel bonds program. What, what is that all about? Sure. Um, so the Israel bonds program is um, it's sovereign bonds. It's it's not totally um, unusual, but it's it's a program that Israel launched um, for um, municipalities and pension funds and and all these places to invest their um, their funds in um, yeah Israel as as like a sovereignty. Um, my Julia, my my colleague, could probably describe it better because she's she's a finance person. But um, it um, you, you really yeah you you invest in um Israel as a state as a bond investment, um, and places like across country places do this before um for the current war um. The U, or, or I'm sorry, New York. The New York State pension system had invested nearly tw- or 250 million dollars um, in the Israel bonds program, and then Thomas DiNapoli, who's the comptroller um, of New York State, who oversees the pension system, um, pledged an additional 20 million dollars um, after October 7th as a way to sort of boost um, Israel's reserves and its, I guess, its war fund. Um, but yeah, I mean, seven other states have, have at least, I th- it might be more at this point, um, have bought 
Israel bonds um, since the current war. Um, but yeah, it's just another way of of showing um, or, or of lending financial support at the local level for for Israel. You talk about the role of, um, you know, I guess uh, lawmakers in New York when it comes to trying to get more military aid to Israel. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Kathy Hochul, um, as part, um, yeah, as part of her like post October 7th, um, Efforts led a group of governors in signing a letter to the federal government, um, urging them to pledge aid, um, to pledge, yeah, aid and military aid to Israel. Um, so it can, yeah, so it can, it can fight, um, Hamas and, and fight its war and, and bomb Gaza, um, yeah, it just that's just another example of of I guess local officials um intervening in um yeah in federal policy when it comes to Israel. Uh, we could go actually go back to you mentioned you mentioned BDS before and I never really touched on that. Um so I, I'm sure listeners are aware um BDS refers to it's the Palestinian divestment yes. sanctions. Yeah, but go on. Sorry. The, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, um, which is sort of this, it, it really is a parallel to the divestment movement that accompanied um, the fight against South African apartheid. Um, it, it targets companies that are complicit um, in any number of ways. You know, BDS has like, um, the BDS like as a movement has sort of its criteria. Um, complicit in um israeli human rights abuses the goal obviously is to boycott them to divest funds from them um to sort of put economic pressure on israel to abide by international human rights law more or less um this has been around like the, the bds is um a real punching bag among um supporters or like israel backers um they, yeah it, it's it's a non-violent movement obviously and it's claimed to be um anti-semitic it, it's um it, you know just the usual usual things um but in 2016 that th this also that happens on the federal level but it also happens on the local level so in 2016 um andrew cuomo then governor um Enact, enacted an executive order that um, said that any companies uh, that partake, that its its office um, deems to partake in BDS or that leverages any sort of like boycott, boycott or divestment um, of Israel um, should be, like the state should divest from that company. Um, which is kind of kind of wild. I'm not I'm not a First Amendment lawyer. I'm not sure how that really passed muster on that. Um, but it's been in place since, and Governor Kathy Hochul has kept it up. Um, I found some records um, that had like lists of the companies. Most of them are international firms, um, 
But between 11 and 14 companies since 2016 have been on this state divestment list for partaking in BDS. Um, but it's not just international firms. Uh, I Last year, Kathy Hochul, um, in response to this, um, to Ben and Jerry's um, ice cream, wanting to um, not have their products sold in the West Bank, um, threatened Unilever, which is the company, this giant corporation um, that owns Ben and Jerry's with uh, state divestment. And it would have been, um, I don't exactly remember the figure, but it was tens of millions of dollars um, that Unilever would have lost in business. Unilever was facing um, threats from all over the place, not just New York State, but the pressure built up and they relented and um yeah, sort sort of overrode Ben and Jerry's in in their decision to divest. So it, it yeah, it it just shows no matter what direction you're coming from, whether you want to like target um, NGOs that support settlements, whether you want to um, just put general sort of economic pressure on companies um, that are complicit in Israeli human rights abuses, um, it, it gets met with very fierce opposition from um across this political spectrum among those like in office uh, yeah yeah i just wanted to add to that the the bds thing is interesting because i mean i i know people that consider themselves pro palestinian that um have been critical of bds or they have this disagreement with it but, but the, the thing with bds for me is regardless of whether you agree or disagree with BDS, uh, whatever side people come down on that debate, there's a big free speech issue with BDS. You know, I interviewed um, Alan Leverett of the Arkansas Times, and he's a very famous case with this. You know, I I guess there was a call to uh, have papers like the Arkansas Times sign a pledge saying we will not support uh, BDS or, or companies that are supportive of BDS. Uh, and he said, well, no, this is a free speech issue. So I, I think the BDS stuff is important because it goes beyond just the issue of Israel-Palestine into what are our First Amendment rights. Totally. And it's 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 that's a great way to frame it. I think it's um it really shows like how powerful. Israel is as an issue because you can um it, it pushes the limits i guess of what is considered um to be like off limits in terms of um yeah limiting free speech in in the US like it's it's such a, a visceral and entrenched issue that People like, yeah, officials are willing to sort of push those limits of what we kind of think of as as Ed Rock free speech principles. Who are some of the people pushing back on this kind of thing that is going on in New York? Who are the uh, who are the maybe, you know, voices speaking up? So there are a lot of, um, that's a great question. There are a lot of, in in New York, New York has like a lefty contingent um, in 
at the state level, um, mostly spurred by the Democratic Socialists of America, who in New York City um, have been very successful um, at in their sort of like electoral efforts. Um, so you'll see some lefty legislators like um, Zohan Mamdani, uh, Jabari Brisport, Julie Salazar, and Lee Gallagher. Um, these are these are names who are sort of um, yeah, they're, they're state elected officials who are either supported by or members of DSA who have kind of be shown that they're um, unafraid, I guess, of um, this issue and are, and are willing to take it on. They've, they've gone to protests. I don't if um, people saw um, the Jewish Voice for Peace uh, protest in Grand Central Station, I think it was last week, last weekend. Um, some of those elected officials were... Um, actually part of that. Um, so so there is like, it's it's not, I won't say that it's like every single local um, official uh, that kind of, yeah, toes the line. And, and there are also, you know, grassroots groups. I will give a huge shout out to Jewish Voice for Peace um, that has really stepped up in this moment um, and been organizing relentlessly and launching all sorts of actions, pressuring officials. There was the um, Grand Central um, action where hundreds and hundreds were arrested. I was I was there and I saw just a, a line that I could not see the end of, um, of people in zip ties waiting to go on to a Department of Correction bus. Um, it, it was really something to behold. Uh, and that got international um, media attention. They they also recently had an action at the Statue of Liberty. There are a lot of arrests there. Um, and then yeah, and then there are other groups. So we're seeing like a mass. Are there any is, Arab American yeah. groups speaking up? There are lots of American Arab American groups speaking up. Um, there's a group in. I'm sorry, I can only I um, my knowledge of this is mostly confined to like locally, but. There's this group within our lifetime um, that is based in New York City that has been launching uh, protests for for years. I actually remember um, photographing within our lifetime um, March in 2021 um, it, during during like a some violence in Gaza. Um, but yeah, that there are, there are coalitions like that. Um, and a lot of like small community groups that are sort of banding together to show um, just where public opinion at, is at this point. I've spent a lot of time this hour talking about the um, how most elected officials sort of toe the line on Israel. And that, especially since the onslaught in Gaza this year, has become very divorced, I think, with public opinion and with um, especially in in sort of like um, liberal enclaves like New York City um, and, and New York State. Um, yeah, it is just really divorced from where the passions of their constituents lie. And I think it's it's really kind of amazing to see this interwar movement and this like um, and it's a war movement that we haven't seen in, in like two decades um, show its force on the streets. The, the videos and photos from D.C. over this past weekend were were breathtaking. 
Um, I, I was at um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at, I was photographing a march in New York City um, that started in Brooklyn and ended in Manhattan. And I couldn't see the beginning or the end of it. I had no idea how big it was. Uh, it, it was just like for, yeah, many, 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 many blocks, um, just people marching and chanting um, and waving Palestinian flags, um, trying to call for a ceasefire. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's whatever um, sort of political dynamics are happening among elected officials are very different from political dynamics that are happening on the ground. Just uh, one or two more questions. Um, let's talk about Mayor Eric Adams. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. I, I mean, how does he figure into all of this? Because he made some headlines when the uh, Hamas attack happened and then the protests uh, against the retaliation. What is going on with Eric Adams? Yeah, um, I don't know what is going on with Eric Adams. Um, so Eric Adams is an interesting figure for people not in New York City. You've probably seen some like funky headline Trump esque headlines of um, Eric Adams's one liners. Um, so er Eric Adams is a character he who um, he loves. He, Eric Adams loves drones. Eric Adams loves the cops. Eric Adams loves Israel. He actually in August went on a trip to Israel um, where he where actually he met with a settlement leader, which um, faced a lot of condemnation um, from even sort of like pro-Israel liberal groups, um, J Street, which is one of the groups that is like anti-annexation, but pro-Israel um, condemned his meeting of a settlement leader. Um, and he also kind of just like says what he wants um, when it comes to anything, but when it comes to um, Israel and Palestine. So when there was very early on, when there was a march that was not organized by DSA, but which DSA had Democratic Socialists of America had promoted, um, it, it became this like huge thing in, in New York City politics. Um, there was there was like a speaker at at the end of the march that said some very insensitive things about um, the Hamas attack, which killed 1,400 Israelis, um, kind of framing it as, um, yeah, he said some insensitive things. And the, the apparatus sort of like swarmed um, to condemn both DSA, but sort of like any of these groups that are are advocating for a ceasefire, and it's had a it's had a massive blowback factor on the DSA. Totally, you totally. Know, because it's, I mean, I mean, this happens a lot where you know you have one person at a protest who acts like a uh, excuse my French, but they act like a jackass, <laughs> and then you know the whole movement or the whole organization. Uh, it gets treated as that's the normative view. And um, I think that's what happened here. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it's. I mean, there's a double standard here because you'll go to like sort of pro-Israel protests and people are saying genocidal things like on the reg. Um, but yeah, so, so I guess like the apparatus sort of swarmed to um, frame this as like the DSA rally to um, use that as sort of a filter for any sort of like pro-Palestinian action, um, any pro-ceasefire action. And, and that's kind of been just vibe since. Um, 
back to Eric Adams, he he was saying that um, there there were DSA people like marching with swastikas and um, I, I, something something else about um, DSA having like Nazi things in their marches. Um, patently false like there, there was nothing behind them i have no idea what he was saying or where he got that but um it, it, it you know he's the mayor so what what he says gains traction even if it's patently false and we we saw it with trump like he's the president and even though he lies all the time like when he says a lie it it goes out there and any attempts to like debunk it are like just not you can't debunk it enough um, to kind of like kill it. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, Eric Adams is, um, a colorful character in, in all that. I, I want to ask you, and I know this is outside the scope of our conversation, but what is going on with Eric Adams and this bribery probe? It, this involves Turkey, right? This involves Turkey. I will very. I will admit that I am not caught up on this because stuff happen. Stuff keeps happening. Um, I, I need to find someone to talk about this. I'm very interested. In that story. I could totally. I will recommend some some good reporters who've who've been on this. Um, shout out to the city, which is a great nonprofit news outlet in in New York that um has been covering this quite well. Um, but yeah, I I mean. I wish I could give, I wish I could like give like a, a breakdown for your listeners, but I'll, I'll say that this has kind of been like a recurring thing. Like there have been all sorts of um, prosecutorial um, inquiries into Eric Adams's campaign finance. There've been actually some like really kind of like funny reads where um, prosecutors have gotten um, communications between um Eric Adams, like campaign funders who have just like been openly admitting to um, breaking campaign finance law. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm, I'm following that also um, mostly as a reader. Yeah, like you said, this dude's a very flamboyant character. It's I mean, he, he creates headlines. <laughs> so we got to talk about this. Have any New York media covered this story or or interviewed you on radio? Has there been any response from the New York media? Good question. Um, you know, so I'll give a shout out to Radio Catskill, which is a um, public radio station in Catskill Mountains and in um, sort of upstate New York. Um, we talked about this a little bit and they were very, they were hoping to get their uh, listeners um, both, both talking about like the local aspects, but more educated on the international issue as a whole. Um, but I mean, we see a lot of, and I'm, I'm going to unfairly, I guess, lump in local media and local elected officials here. Um, so just like that little caveat. But we've seen a lot of um, sort of trying to make this about us. And when I when I say that, I mean, um, there, there there's been an increase in Islamophobic attacks. There's been an increase in anti-Semitic attacks across the U.S. in New York. Um, that is 
uh, truly horrible. Um, but it's also a very easy thing to condemn. And when I see local coverage of this and when I see um, local elected officials talking about um, what's happening in Gaza, what's happening in the West Bank, what's happening in Israel, um, I see a lot of like the, this sort of script. One, support Israel. Two, turn the conversation to condemning um, hate crimes in the United States, which it's it's like not a hard issue. Like that's easy to condemn no matter who it happens to. Um, right. You can say, like, uh, you know, I condemn both anti-Semitic and Islamophobic hate crimes, and, you know. Exactly. But you can't really. It, yeah. But it's it's hard. For some reason it's harder can, to condemn um today is well we're we're talking on november 7th and the current count when i last saw it was ten thousand people in gaza who were dead um vast majority civilians um and that's probably an undercount that is somehow harder to condemn even um and, and it's not really sort of a case of not wanting to wade into foreign policy because a lot of these places and a lot of these officials will um lend their support to israel like very immediately um yeah so so uh, that's i guess what what julie and i are trying to do with this piece what what my editor and i are trying to do with with some follow-ups is um kind of break that tendency and show that one what is happening on the international stage is important and two we are directly tied to it in in ways that are more than just um combating hate crimes so what's what's the name of the uh i want to give a shout out to to that just once again to the uh uh station in the uh cat skills because i gotta say you know wnyc should be covering this you know but they're not what is going on there but the, what's the station in the Catskills? Shout out to them. And I will, uh, so I will apologize to any New York um, reporters who have covered this and I've missed it. Um, but, but yes, I feel you. WJFF um, Radio Catskill. Um, there, there are some great ones. Uh, they, they do good work up there. So uh, is there anything I didn't cover in the course of this conversation uh, that you'd like to just uh, briefly go over right now? You know, I don't, I don't think anything spe specific's not really, I, I really appreciate you having me on and, and talking about this. I, I will just kind of reiterate that um, if you're in New York or if you're anywhere else in the United States, if you're American or live in the United States, um, you have a direct tie to what is happening in Israel and Palestine right now, whether you like it or not, we're, we're parties to this war, both um, when it comes to our federal government and and its policies and also local organizations and and local government um so i just like really encourage everybody to continue educating themselves continue reading um and yeah do do what they can to be um civically involved on their local level in a way that connects to international issues thanks again chris gilardi for coming on parallax views Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris Gillardi. 
of New York Focus. Check out their work, folks. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please support me at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And with that being said, until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like crazy. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.